Welcome to The Money Spot, the show where we answer your money questions. I'm your host, Heather Katsonga Woodward, and in this episode, we have our first question from a guy called Barry. Now, before we actually listen to his question, his questions about budgeting, I am going to say to you guys, please don't set your budget so tightly that when you're hit by the smallest or most undramatic of expenses, like let's say a passport renewal, your budget is thrown completely out of whack. Always add a cushion of 100, 200 pounds so that you can have a little bit flex. You can go to Costa and have a coffee or whatever. So in addition to whatever principles I'm going to share in a moment, I would just like to share, don't keep it too tight. Oh, and of course, I should mention that there is a downloadable resource, so a free Excel budget that comes along with this episode. And if you link to the related resource, you will find that Excel spreadsheet in the blog post and you can download it. Let's listen to Barry's question. Hi, Heather. My name's Barry and I hate budgeting. It's not so much the budgeting, but tracking all my spending kind of sucks the joy out of life. I can't stand having to think through how my money will be spent and not being able to buy what I want just because it wasn't budgeted for. Am I doomed to always be broke because I don't budget? Do you have any suggestions for me? Thanks. Hmm. Barry, you raise a very interesting question. In fact, I had to think about whether I actually like budgeting myself whether it's just a habit I've got into over time. My answer to this question is that I don't think anyone actually loves budgeting or having to watch every single penny, but when people see the benefits of operating a budget, they get into it. When you know your income will last until the next payday because you've planned well, you're less stressed about your finances. I can't even imagine what it's like to get to halfway through the month and realize you don't have enough to feed your kids and have to go out to get a payday loan or something like that. There's a certain peace of mind that comes with knowing you've got enough that encourages people to keep on budgeting. I have a certain friend who puts every single penny that he spends into a spreadsheet. Well, it was a spreadsheet back in the day when he told me how he was managing his money. And I hope he's now found some reliable app for that purpose. However, when I saw his system of managing money, I literally lost the will to live. And that's how I came up with what I call the set and forget budget or loose budgeting for my own money management. This guy would literally collect every single receipt that he had from the week and type it into Excel one by one. And for me, that was just like too tedious. I love the quote, a budget is telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. It was first said by a guy called John Maxwell, but Dave Ramsey has popularized it and he uses it a lot on his podcast. And I can really get with the philosophy behind this telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. Anyhow, rather than watch every single penny, The loose budgeting method or the set and forget method involves creating spending buckets and allocating a fixed amount to each bucket with loose rules around how that money can be spent. If you do it properly, 
This set and forget way of managing money means you will only need to make changes monthly if your income changes a lot from month to month or annually if you are on a stable fixed income. You might do it a little more frequently to begin with because you'll need to tweak the different buckets until they're just right. And although I say you might need to adjust it monthly if your monthly income changes a lot, the way we do it because our monthly income changes a lot based on overtime is that everything from overtime goes to saving. So it doesn't actually involve that much from month to month. I just check how much extra we've saved that month because of overtime. Otherwise, the rest of the budget is pretty fixed until December when we're looking at how we're going to spend at Christmas. But first, what is the point of the whole set and forget budget? Well, the objective, once you're done dividing your cash into the different buckets, is to figure out what your financial lane is so that you can stay in it. You will know once you're done whether your finances can support a daily latte habit or a weekly shopping for clothes habit. You'll know whether buying lunch every day when you go to work makes sense for you or not. You'll figure out what lifestyle your finances can support. And then you can start working on building the habits that will help you reach your savings goals and the habits that will stop you from running out of money every single month. So no, you're not doomed to be broke. Do what I'm about to tell you and your prospects are likely to improve. Step one, figure out the total income that you get after taxes and other deductions. So before you create the loose budget, you need to know what you earn annually after tax, pension contributions, and any other deductions like student loans. Basically, figure out what lands in your bank account. If you're paid a fixed wage, this is really easy to calculate. You can do it by going to listentotaxman.com. I love that website. Listen to Taxman will tell you exactly how much money should be landing in your bank account. If you're married and you manage your income as a single unit, like my husband and I do, you'll need to add up the two incomes, the two annual incomes. And then we move to step two, which is decide what will be saved and allocate the rest to the buckets. I've got about 20 buckets that I'll take you through. When you have total income and you've deducted the biggest expenses, for me, the biggest expense is saving. In the last year, we saved about 40% of household income, which was our best saving year yet. But of course, that's not realistic for everyone. And we've only managed to reach that sort of high savings goal because our incomes have both reached you know, a comfortable level where we can do that. Then you deduct from the total as well any other big expenses you want to commit to for the year. Stuff like school fees or buying a car or anything else that's like really chunky. Once you've done this, you'll know what total is left for household spending and you're ready to create the buckets. You might need to tweak the savings amount if after doing this exercise, you realize you're oversaving and haven't left enough for household necessities or if you're undersaving and could actually be saving a little bit more. This is what my household's buckets look like and keep in mind that each bucket is for monthly spending and I track it in Excel because it's convenient. I'm old school and because with the loose budget, you don't need to track spending so much. My husband and I manage our total earnings as one pot after deducting a little bit of pocket money for each of us. So before I figure out what's going to the different buckets, I know 
my husband keeps 250 every month and I keep 250 every month, which is, I don't think, extravagant. In fact, I was listening to an Instagram video by Bianca Miller and she said she was sat in a taxi with a taxi driver and he gave his four children a total of £900 a month for pocket money. The youngest got the least, the oldest got the most, and the oldest was actually getting more in pocket money than me, a fully grown woman, does. So me and my husband figured 250 is enough. Most of my money actually goes to charity of that 250. I stopped buying lunch at work, so lunch actually fits into the household food budget. My husband also takes food from home, but some of his budget goes to some medical insurances. Anyhow, I digress. Let's go to the monthly buckets. One, children's savings. This bucket will be there for some and not for others. If you want to know how I save for children, go to podcast episode two, where I go into detail about how I save for my kids from age zero to five, and then after that. Two, your savings. Now, once you'll set a standing order so that the savings leave your bank account as soon as you're paid. If you use an investment platform like Hargreaves Lansdowne or the Halifax one, which is much more reasonably priced, or Fidelity, they might have a fixed day when they debit your bank account. I use Hargreaves Lansdowne for the kids and it's the seventh of the month, which is not ideal because it's a whole week after I've been paid. I wish it was like the first, but it's better to set your savings to go out exactly on the day you get paid. So my children's savings go out on the seventh. My savings and my husband's go out on the day we get paid without fail. And I actually do it manually because I like doing it manually and I'm a bit of a sort of money geek like that. But most people are better served by setting standing orders so that they don't ever need to think about it. And you should preset what your money is going to be invested in. Index trackers, what I suggest. Three, school expenses for yourself or children. If you pay any sort of fees, it's best to pay the fees to another account as soon as you're paid. For example, if you pay fees three times a year, as school fees usually done, spread the cost out across several months so fees don't come as a shock every time. So we pay fees in January, April, and September. So for the January fees, I will save in October, November, and December. I'm lying. I save September, October, November, and December. Four months of savings, pay for January. For April, I do January, February, March, and December, January, February, March. So when April comes, I've got four months of savings. You get the gist of this. Four, mortgage. Now this will be fixed based on your mortgage agreement. We have a household rule to keep mortgage payments low enough so that one person can pay them. So if we lost our job, if one of us lost our job, it wouldn't be so devastating because payments could be within the means of the other person. Well, they are within the means. That's our personal rule. But if you're a single income household, then you can set different rules for yourself. You might set it such that it is what it is, but then you've got a sort of pot of three to six months of money that ensures that if you're out of a job, you can continue living for a good amount of time. I also like Dave Ramsey's rule of keeping payments to within 25% of household income 
based on 15-year repayment plans. But I think for the UK, a 15-year mortgage isn't affordable for many people because the ratio of house prices to income in the UK has gone a little doolally. And what might be a better target is to get out of your mortgage, to get mortgage-free by the time you're 50 to 55. But if you can do a 15-year repayment plan, fantastic. But some people might decide that actually... I don't want to pay off my mortgage. I want to build up a portfolio of buy-to-lets and then I'll do the 15-year thing. That was my strategy. So I started doing the 15-year repayment thing from the age of 35. And by the age of 50, I hope that our own mortgage and our buy-to-lets will have been cleared, which will create a lot of peace of mind. Anyway, Payments for mortgage are one of the biggest expenses. If you don't have a mortgage and you pay rent, um, I think a reasonable goal is to clear any debts and get a, a mortgage that's affordable so that by the time you reach retirement, you don't have any household payments. You've only got the council tax. And we're really lucky in the UK not to have property taxes. And even when they were considering introducing them, the threshold was really high. So if you aren't paying rent or mortgage once you're getting your state pension, you could actually, in a two-income household where you both get the state pension, live okay on that state pension. Five, council tax. This is a fixed bucket. It's unavoidable. You're going to have to pay it. Obviously, the smaller your house, the lower the council tax that you pay. Six, water. This is pretty fixed and unavoidable as well if you're not on a meter. But if you do have a meter, you can make cuts. Budget for the maximum water bill that you would expect. However, water bills are so low that even if you are on a meter, the extent to which you can make savings here is minimal. Seven, gas and electricity. This is a pretty fixed unavoidable bucket as well. Budget for the maximum energy bill you expect so that if you overspend, it doesn't come as a shock and kill your budget. Eight, home care insurance, or it should probably be called home breakdown insurance. I always have home care insurance so that unexpected heating and plumbing leaks and breakdowns are covered. I learned early in my life as a property owner that your toilet's going to start leaking all over the place or your sink is when you least expect it. So I just don't compromise on home care insurance. It's very affordable and costs a lot less than calling someone out to fix it. And in fact, some people say, oh, I'd rather not own a home because when things go wrong, the landlord takes care of it. You know what? You can pay as little as like 20 pounds a month and only end up paying maybe 50 pounds. If you have a low monthly payment on your home care, you will have a deductible. So you pay 50 pounds every time someone comes out. If you increase this to even like 30 pounds per month on home care insurance, you pay nothing. You pay nothing. You can call them out 10 times in the year and you won't pay a thing. It's so worth it. I use British Gas and in my experience, they've been the best for home care insurance. I don't use them as my supplier for electricity or gas but I do use them for home care insurance. There's another insurer called HomeServe. I have used those in the past, but I didn't find their coverage to be that good. They'd come, fix the leak, and then tell you like, oh, I'm sorry, I can't seal it around the tub for you. 
But British Gas actually go above and beyond. They will come and do the job and fix their mess. And, you know, I just feel it's so worth it. Nine, life insurance or mortgage insurance. If you have this, it'll be a pretty fixed bucket as well. I would recommend having mortgage insurance with critical illness cover, although it's more expensive. But it means if you or your partner were to get very ill, your mortgage would be paid off completely. And then for life insurance, I don't think you need the critical illness cover generally. But if you can afford to, then do it. I was listening to a story yesterday about a guy who refused to buy life insurance with critical illness cover, which was going to cost him £200 a month. And he said, you know what, I'd rather save that money rather than waste it on insurance. Four months later, the guy was dead. He was dead. He had saved less than £1,000 and his family were in a complete mess because he hadn't bought the insurance. Even if he hadn't bought the critical illness cover and therefore didn't have to pay such a high price, his family would have received a lump sum that would have taken the stress out of losing a loved one. 10. Broadband. This is relatively fixed, but you should shop around for a cheaper deal at least once a year. 11. TV license. Completely fixed bucket. You have to pay it. 12. Groceries. Groceries for us includes food and any basic toiletries and household cleaning products. Set your groceries budget high enough that you can buy treats from the supermarket. Buy treats. I mean the type of high quality food that will help you avoid spending on takeaways or restaurant meals. Things you really like, you know, like salmon. It doesn't make sense not to buy, you know, the 10 pound salmon uh, that will feed your family of four. Then go to a restaurant and spend 40 or 50 pounds to eat exactly the same thing. That's a false economy. And I used to do that. I used to be so guilty of that. I'd keep my spending really low. And then me and my husband were going out. This was before having kids. And spending like 50 pounds on three different occasions at the weekend. You know, Friday, Saturday and Sunday. And that ended up being like a 600 pound expenditure every month. Because we're spending little at a time, it didn't shock us or we didn't think about it. But then when we sat down and thought, what do we spend on eating out? It was like crazy. Now we fit our sort of treats into the groceries. We don't buy food at work. So the groceries cover food at work. And if you want a benchmark or we budget 400 pounds for groceries, but most months we end up spending 300 or about 75 pounds a week. That is because our eating out budget is very low. Some people think 400, ooh, that's really high. We eat very little out, so it is worth it because eating out would really boost that. I'll tell you what our budget is for eating out momentarily when I get to the bit of flexible buckets. 13, ad hoc expenses. Now the ad hoc account is sacred and it's for annual expenses such as car services, car tax, car insurance, MOTs, which come as a lump sum. But I also include in my ad hoc budget any sort of basic home improvements we would like to do. And I put £200 every month into the ad hoc budget. At the moment, I do 300 because we want to paint outside the house in the summer. But now that I do this, every time I need to get, renew car insurance, it's not like, oh no, it's messing up my budget. I've created the ad hoc amount to be 
just the perfect size that it is covering it. And this is our equivalent, actually, of what people call the emergency fund of £1,000, because it usually just bounces around 800 and like 1200 And even if we kept building it to higher than that, I would leave it. It's something I just started in April of 2019, and it's something that's going to stay. Think of creating an ad hoc account, because on the occasions when our account has been fully depleted of the monthly budget because I've spent too many times on Amazon that month, it actually comes in very handy. So instead of an emergency fund that's fixed and set, create an ad hoc account, and this will be the backbone of your set and forget budget because every time you get overdrawn, you'll go into this. So these 13 buckets are what I think are the known negotiable, hard to cut back things, and they're on the budget. Savings can obviously be amended, but if you set a realistic savings goal and you'll be able to do that once you've played around with this for a couple of months, you won't need to change that. Let's go on to the buckets that are going to give you some flexibility when you need to cut back. These are the areas you're going to look at. 14 is transport. This pot might have flexibility if you can choose between public transport and your own personal car. 15 is fuel. To the extent that you make lots of non-work or childcare related trips, this might be a flexible one and you can cut back on fuel by taking sort of fewer trips like to visit friends and family and holiday driving trips, that sort of thing. 16, cleaner. This is the ultimate luxury, and I acknowledge that. And if you were strapped for cash, this would be an obvious thing that you could completely cut out of your life. But I I have a cleaner, and it's just something I allow because it stops arguments happening in the house. 17, meals out. Based on how much money is left after all the important stuff, this might have to be zero in some months. Before we had kids, my husband and I, as I've said, spent a lot. But now our monthly eating out budget is 50 pounds a month. And we've been doing that since April last year, the last tax year. And we thought it would be hard, but we got used to it really quickly. And now when we do eat out, it's a complete treat. We're not going to do this forever. We're just supercharging our savings right now. And because we have kids, eating out isn't even that fun because they're running about all over the place, causing mayhem, creating trouble. So we're very happy to eat at home. We get stuff like pizzas from Aldi. I can make the most delicious chips. And yeah, it's not a problem. I'm even surprised I got used to it. I would have thought I'm the type of person that needs to eat out at least once every week. But no, turns out I can get used to anything. Well, missing out on eating out at least. 18. Memberships and subscriptions to magazines newspapers, Amazon Prime, Audible, Netflix, Sky or Virgin TV, that type of thing. For the last five years, my husband and I have not had a TV subscription and wouldn't even look back. We've got an Amazon Prime and a Netflix. And the reason we keep both is because if one kid is watching one and the other kid doesn't want to watch that thing, we can let them watch the alternative. In the long run, I think we will stick to Amazon Prime and Netflix. I love my Amazon Prime free delivery. And I've actually started finding shows that I like on Amazon Prime. But it's up to you. These are the sort of things you can cut. 
but you need to think critically about what you're spending your money on because subscriptions, once you've subscribed, you forget about, and then you realize you spent, I don't know, over a five year period, several hundred pounds when you haven't even been using that thing. 19, charity. In theory, this is a flexible bucket, but in practice, it is so hard to cut on the money that you give to charity. I always look at cutting other stuff back and so far I've never cut to the charities that I give money to every month. 20, any other stuff. What I've given you are my buckets, so you need to create all the things that are important to you. We all have our own value systems, so you might need to buy clothes more regularly or makeup or whatever it is. I have an Excel spreadsheet that you can download that has my set and forget budget. And then it's got another worksheet within the same Excel with a more broken down list of things that you might spend money on. This exercise would get very tedious if you were trying to do it all the time, but as a one-off, it can be quite fun. I found the money dashboard app quite helpful for getting an overview of what I spend money on and maybe it can help you to download it and link it to all your bank accounts. You can link every single bank account that you have onto this one app. And once you've done this exercise, it will hopefully draw out where you can cut expenses and it will hopefully bring any bad spending habits to light. Because the British tax year goes from April to April, I usually pay closest attention to my set and forget budget just before the tax year, so in about March and in November when we're preparing for Christmas because that's when I'm most likely to lose it with my spending. Barry, I hope this helps you. I hope you're able and willing to do this exercise at least one time and ultimately, I hope you're not always going to be broke. Thanks for asking the question. Thanks for listening. If you want to ask me a question, read my blogs, or support this show in any way, please type themoneyspot.co.uk into your address bar and you'll be redirected to my personal website.